Welcome to One Cause Church. Here is another inspirational message from Senior Pastor Eric Holler. Let's go to the book of 2 Corinthians tonight as we are continuing in our series in Corinthians. And we're going to be in chapter 8. We started this a couple of weeks ago um, where Paul takes some time in these two chapters, chapters 8 and 9 of 2 Corinthians and talks on the subject and the grace of giving. Thank you for your enthusiasm. And so we're going to continue to delve into that. But this, uh, this Oki was on a flight, an international flight to London. And uh, the pilot comes on the intercom about halfway through the trip and says, Folks, uh, we've lost an engine, but uh, no fear, we have three more. And we will certainly arrive in London safely. It's just going to delay our flight by one hour. Sit back and relax. 30 minutes later, he comes on the intercom again. He says, uh, well, folks, uh, we've lost two engines now. And, uh, but it's okay. There's no reason to fear. We have two engines, and they'll get us safely to London. However, it will delay our flight now by two hours. Again. Pilot comes on the intercom another half hour or so later. Well, folks, we've lost now our third engine, but really that's why we have four. And so this, this last uh, engine uh, will we'll get us there safely, but just to let you know that it will delay our flight now by three hours. The Oki finally speaks up from the back. He said, please, God, don't let us lose that fourth one. We'll be up here all night. <laughs> okay. Verse 10 of 2 Corinthians chapter 8. 2 Corinthians chapter 8. Are you ready? Remember how we, we finished with verse 9, I think, to the best of my memory, of verse 9 where it says, And we know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though He was rich, yet for our sakes He became poor, that we through His poverty might become rich. And, um, and, and the word rich here actually means outward material wealth. People that don't like prosperity hate this verse because they don't have really any answers for it. It's not talking about spiritual, it's talking about outward material wealth. You know, God's not afraid to materially bless you. He's not afraid of that at all. As a matter of fact, He made materials to bless you with. All right? Well, that's the root of all evil. No, the love of it is the root of all evil, not it itself. Amen. And God has given us these things, provided ways to, for us to be enriched so that we can do the right thing with the money. Shouldn't the righteous have the money to do the righteous thing in the earth with the money? Amen. I'm not afraid to talk about this. I used to be real shy about this. But there's nothing to be ashamed of. There's nothing to be shy about. Jesus paid a price for us to have material wealth. He became poor. See, there, don't forget these exchanges that took place. And let me just say this, whatever Jesus is handing out, I'll take it. I don't have to necessarily understand it or maybe even appreciate it, but if he's giving it, I want it. I want it. And one of the things that he made in this exchange, this glorious exchange, was he became poor, you became rich. Just like he became a curse and you became blessed. Just like he became the son of man so that we could become sons of God, just like he became sin so that you could become righteousness, he became wounded so that you could be healed. When I look at that deal, we got the better end of that deal all the way around. 
So we don't live, Christians don't live changed lives. We live exchanged lives. Our lives are now in Him. We live His life. Amen. And so He has given us, through the grace of giving, this is the glorious thing. This God wants to get more to you so that He can also get more through you. But that won't happen until we tap into His terms, till we meet Him on His terms and, and, and come to this thing and humble ourselves under His authority. What does God say? How are we going to tap into this wealth, this, these riches that He has provided for us? It's not going to happen by hoarding. It's going to happen through giving. It's completely opposite of the world system. The world system says accumulate, accumulate, accumulate. And a man's wealth and his worth is made up of that which he possesses. But God says, no, 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 that's not how it works in my kingdom. You give, 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 and you keep giving, and I will not be mocked. Whatever you sow, you will reap. And as much as you're giving, you'll never be able to outgive what he's bringing to you in harvest. Ever. This is one of the greatest assurances that we have of never having lack nor the fear of lack is just enjoying this marvelous grace of giving. It's beautiful. So Paul does some teaching here on the subject of giving, and he says, and in this I give advice. It is to your advantage not only to be doing what you began and were desiring to do a year ago. See, the Corinthian church got excited about the opportunity to help the poor uh, saints there in Jerusalem or in Judea. They wanted to get involved with that and do what they could. So a year prior, Paul had told them about the need, and they got excited to do it, and they were going to prepare an offering, yet they hadn't come through with it now. So now Paul is calling on this offering, this, this gift. Uh, verse 11, but now you also must complete the doing of it, that as you were, that as there was a readiness to desire it, so there also may be a completion out of what you have. For if there is first a willing mind, say willing mind, it is accepted according to what one has and not according to what he does not have. In other words, what Paul is saying is, I'm not asking you to give beyond your means. All right? Give what you have. You know, this verse could be turned around and still retain its truth. I want to just kind of read a different thought from this verse. If there is not a willing mind, then the gift will not be accepted regardless of the amount. Hmm? The emphasis is on the motive, not the amount of money given. Hallelujah. See, the Lord's not looking at the size of our offerings compared to other people. He's looking on the heart of the giver more so than he is on that gift in the giver's hand. He judges our gifts by what we have to give. But let me tell you what else that means. Not only does it judge our gifts by according to what we have, but he also judges uh, our offerings by what we have left. <laughs> I lost you there. Okay, let's go to Mark chapter 12. We'll see an example of this. Mark chapter 12. Verse 41. Mark chapter 12, and we'll start reading in verse 41. Now Jesus sat opposite the treasury and saw how the people put money into the treasury. Can you imagine? Offering time comes around and Jesus comes around and starts watching what you're putting in the offering bucket. Can you imagine him standing there watching you? I think that day I'm going to pull out the biggest bill I've got. <laughs> put on a good show for Jesus. Right? No pressure. 
The Son of God is watching your offering. The one who's about to die for your sins. No pressure. God in the flesh is here with his eyes on your gift. Look at this. But I want you to notice what it doesn't say. It doesn't say Jesus set up the treasury to see how much the people put. He saw, he wanted to see how they were giving. How are they giving? Look at this. This is awesome. And many who were rich put in much. Verse 42. Then one poor widow came and threw in two mites. This equals about three-eighths of a penny in American uh, currency. Not very much money, is it? Which make a quadrants. Next, 43. So he called his disciples to himself and said to them, so Jesus gets excited about what he has just seen, right? He's watching the rich pull out the big bill, right? Because they see Jesus, they're like, all right, let me show you what I can do. And they start putting in lots of money, lots of money. And she comes by and throws in a couple of cents, and Jesus says, whoa, guys, look at this. Calls attention to this. Look at this, guys. Calls them to himself and said to them, assuredly, I say to you, this poor widow has put in more than all those who have given to the treasury. Now, you know, the guys are thinking, did you see how much she put in? Verse 44. For they all put in out of their abundance. Out of their abundance. But she, out of her poverty, put in all that she had her whole livelihood. All right, so Jesus is saying it wasn't really anything for these guys to give what they give, even though it was much in volume. But they have already much in volume. So that wasn't really much of a sacrifice there. But she, she gave everything she had. In other words, he's looking at what is left over also as much as he is what, giving what you have. Are you hearing what I'm saying? And that's where you, he can see and he judges the heart right where the real sacrifice is made. He loves a cheerful giver. He loves a sacrificial giver. Not to hurt you, uh-uh, but to open up new things to you. You can give richly even when you don't have much. Amen. Right? Because rich giving is a matter of a willing heart, not the amount you have. Amen. I, what I think is cool too, I know you've heard me say this, but I, I was find this interesting about Jesus. He's so intriguing, and he messes with our religious thinking so much. You know, there's some things he does, and I still, as much as I cannot stand the thought of being religious or legalism or anything, I still find it in me from time to time. And it's, it's a work to just allow God's grace to just saturate every, every bit of my being. But, you know, we live in this body, and we have this carnal thinking sometimes, and we just tend to think from that place of the knowledge of good and evil rather than the knowledge of God. What's right and what's wrong? Jesus, think about it. She gives this offering. How much did she say she gave? Okay, number one, she's poor. Number two, she's a poor widow. All right? That means she has nobody caring for her. She is walking out of the church totally bankrupt. You know what Jesus did? He just let her leave. I just don't find that very charitable of Jesus. Matter of fact, if, if he was around today, they might put him on the news and call this some big scandal that he's, he's swindling the widows out of all that they have. Just let her go. Calls his disciples to him 
and makes a sermon out of her and she walks out dead, flat, broke. Sometimes I want to help Jesus in a situation like that. When I read that story, I want to say, Jesus, shouldn't you have said, Granny, come back here for a second, sweetheart. Come here, Grandma. I want you to reach in with both hands and grab as much of that offering out of there as you can and shove that in your pockets, put it in your purses, and then be on your way. God bless you. That's what I would do. <laughs> he just lets her go. He must know something. He must know something that we all need to know. That you can't outgive God. And she just stepped into a partnership with God where God is now obligated to make sure this woman's taken care of. Let me tell you something. God taking care of her is much better than some guy saying, come over here and grab two handfuls of money. God's going to do a lot better job of taking care of her because he watches over his word to perform it. She put herself in the exact place she needed to be, fully depending on God. And to us, sometimes we think along those lines, and that's a scary realm. But let me tell you today, it is the surest place that you can put yourself, fully trusting in Him. Amen. Don't worry, don't get nervous. I'm not going to take up an offering right now. Amen. I want to, but I'm not going to. Okay, where are we now? Verse 13. For I do not mean that others should be eased and you burdened, but by an equality, that now at this time your abundance, your abundance may supply their lack. Watch, that their abundance also may supply your lack, that there may be equality. Now let me just say something here, because Paul is really, in essence, he's saying, I don't want to burden you, Corinthians, um, but along with a, a united effort in our churches, there will be plenty to supply the needs of these poor saints. Um, and, and this will be done without undue strain upon any if everybody is doing their part. And he, he implied that there would be a time, notice this, that there would be a time when these Jewish Christians who they're helping out would also be called upon to help them sometime down the road. All right, so that, that gives us a, a better understanding and, and make sure that we don't confuse equality with entitlement or enablement. All right, we're not talking about just handouts, we're talking about giving a hand up, helping someone in need and knowing that they're going to take that and they're going to move forward in their life. They're not just going to wait for the next handout, kind of like a system that we've produced here in our country and giving the people the handout mentality rather than the hand up. And so this is not to be equated with that, nor is it to be equated with communism because communism, the essence of it, the thought of it was actually pretty noble, but the practicality of it and the doing of it became corrupt. It all became about greed, all right? So equality in the way when it's, when it's measured and it's, and it's influenced by and it flows out of, it's engineered by the love of God, that keeps the motive right. Amen. Those who, who have plenty, he says, will be sharing with those who have lack. In this way, we all can have as much as we need. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 16, you can just write this down. I'm just going to read it to you. But do not forget to do good and to share, for with such sacrifices, God is well pleased. Amen. All right. Are we, are we good? Let's keep reading. Verse 15 of 2 Corinthians 8. As it is written, he who gathered much had nothing left over, and he who gathered little had no lack. And that's a reference over to um, 
uh, the time of Moses, whenever God was raining down manna from heaven. But thanks be to God, who puts the same earnest care for you into the heart of Titus, who is one of Paul's sons in the faith. For he not only accepted the exhortation, but being more diligent, he went to you of his own accord. So Titus got excited to come and, and collect the offering and to encourage the people in this grace of giving um, because they'd already seen what was happening in the area of Macedonia, the Philippian church, um, the Thessalonian church. Those churches, they were lit up with this giving, and they saw how the people responded with such vigor and excitement. And so Paul now, Titus seeing that, was excited to come to Corinth and light that same fire there as well. For he not only accepted the exhortation, but being more diligent, he went to you of his own accord. Verse 18, and we have sent with him the brother whose praise is in the gospel throughout all the churches. I'm not sure who this brother is. I don't know why Paul doesn't mention him by name because he loves mentioning names. But this guy, maybe he didn't want to be mentioned. I don't know. And not only that, but who also, who was also chosen by the churches to travel with us with this gift, which is administered by us to the glory of the Lord himself and to show your ready mind. Verse 20, avoiding this, that anyone should blame us in this lavish gift, which is administered by us. So Paul is, he's a smart dude, all right? Because what he's doing is, is he's gotten Titus and another man from the Macedonian churches to carry these offerings so that he could never be blamed of stealing from the people or misusing the funds. So Paul, not because anybody forced him to do this, I think he just was wise before God and before man in this deal and handling this money and handling this gift. He was trying to avoid anyone accusing him of anything uh, inappropriate. So this brother that he speaks of was chosen by those other churches to accompany them to get this offering to the, to the saints. So um, as he brought the gospel to these people, you know, Paul could have demanded that they just trust him with the matter, but he went above and beyond and wanted not only to be right in the sight of God, but also the churches. Verse 21, providing honorable things, not only in the sight of the Lord, but also in the sight of men. There, there it is. Verse 22, and we have sent with them our brother, whom we have often proved diligent in many things, but now much more diligent because of the great confidence which we have in you. If anyone inquires about Titus, he's my partner and fellow worker concerning you. And if our brethren are inquired about, they are messengers of the churches, the glory of Christ. Therefore, show to them uh, and before the churches the proof of your love and of our boasting on your behalf. So now he's saying they're coming, so have that offering ready, and then we're going to go bless these saints. Are we ready? Let's keep going. We've got a few more minutes. Now, concerning the ministering to the saints, it is superfluous for me to write to you. <laughs> I love that he says this. It's, this is really unnecessary for me to write this to you. However, he took time out of two chapters to focus on it. It's superfluous for me to write to you. Verse 2, but for I know your willingness about which I boast of you to the Macedonians, the, that Achaia was ready a year ago, and now zeal has stirred up the majority. Yet I have sent the brethren, lest our boasting of you should be in vain in this respect, that as I said, you may be ready." Lest if some Macedonians come with me and find you unprepared, we, not to mention you, should be ashamed of this confident boasting. You said, guys, I've been talking you up big time. I've been talking up your offering and what you're willing to do. Come on now, don't, don't embarrass me and don't embarrass yourselves. When they come, have it ready. Have the ready mind. Let's get this thing done. Because the truth is, you know, there are a lot of willing people who fail to prepare and therefore fall short of the need and their own desire to give. Just passive opportunities, just have a willingness and maybe their heart wants to do something, but really never make preparation to do it. Amen. That, but that's not you. That's other people. 
that go to other churches, obviously. Verse 5, therefore, I thought it necessary to exhort the brethren to go to you ahead of time and prepare your generous gift before him, which you have previously promised. <laughs> Boy, he's reiterating it, isn't he? Uh, that it may be ready as a matter of generosity and not as a grudging obligation. One of generosity and not one of a grudging obligation. I love this. You can choose to live your life and to give with a grudging obligation or with a glorious obsession. And God loves a cheerful giver. He loves one who's ready to do it, one who's prompt to act, ready to act with no fear. Look at verse 6. But this I say, who is so sparing will also reap sparingly. He who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Verse 7. So let each one give as he purposes in his heart, not grudgingly or of necessity, for God loves a cheerful giver. Well, I guess we better give to the church. Well, I guess we ought to help. Hmm? God has an obsession. I think he does. If you could say God had an obsession, I think he does have an obsession and it's people. Think about what he gave up to have people. He gave up everything he had when he gave his son. He showed how obsessed with us he was that he would give up his own son to have us. I would say that's a bit of an, an obsession. Even Paul was a guy who seemed a bit obsessed. Especially when it comes to this gift. I mean, he's really touting it and really excited about it to be able to bless these, the, the poor people. But, but I want you to take your Bible and turn right quick to 2 Corinthians 11. This is one of the most interesting things uh, that, that Paul says. I find amongst all of this trouble and persecution that we're going to read about, there's something that he says that just is stark to me in this passage. Uh, 2 Corinthians 11, verse 24. Did I tell you which verse, Brooke? Sorry. I didn't give her these verses ahead of time, so she's on the fly with me right now. Everybody say, thank you, Brooke. Second Corinthians chapter 11, verse 24. From the Jews, five times I received 40 stripes minus one. In other words, five different times Paul received a beating with rods. 39 strikes times five. All right? Five different times he was beat with rods. Verse 25. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. That means pelted with rocks for you younger generation. <laughs> like literal stones, all right? Pelted. In, in, in Iconium, Paul, Paul, the, the Jews took him out and they stoned him, supposing him to be dead. See, Jews didn't have stoned people. They were experts at it. Once the rocks started flying, they made sure you were dead. All right? So Paul, there's a good chance he, he really died and then... And then by the power of God, got back up. Now, I want you to understand something. They stoned him to pieces. The next day, he gets up and makes a 20-mile walk to go preach somewhere else. You tell me the power of God wasn't at work in this man's body. Amen. Amen. Hmm? Yeah. Yeah. Look, three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I have been in the deep. That is, wading water in the darkness of the night. Stuff swimming around under you. You have no clue 
what's in that water. All right? In journeys often, in perils of waters, in perils of robbers, in perils of my own countrymen, in perils of the Gentiles, in perils in the city. Here a peril, there a peril everywhere a peril looks like. In perils in the wilderness, in perils in the sea, in perils among false brethren. Verse 27. In weariness and toil, in sleeplessness often. Well, this, this is, I don't know, I don't think this is good advertisement for the ministry. In hunger and thirst, in fastings often, in cold in na- and nakedness. Verse 28. Besides the other things, what comes upon me daily, here's what comes upon me daily, my deep concern for all the churches. He puts this burden amongst that list. One of the biggest things that troubles me. He's a bit obsessed. He's concerned about these churches. These Jews haven't been over and they're whipping him with rods. And he's thinking, boy, I hope that Corinthian church stops that carnal thinking. Oh, man, I, if they could just get over this division. They could truly walk. The, wow, ow. And then there's the, the Philippian church. My goodness, the, those Philippians are generous people. What's he, what's he thinking? Every day, this is something that comes over. He's a bit obsessed about this. It's hard to beat a man with a cause like that. It's hard to beat a man who's obsessed. It's hard to keep him down. Paul's obsessed with his gift. He's obsessed with the church. Wow. What's your glorious obsession? What gives you that sense of purpose and direction in your life? What is it that, that you want to build? Or what do you want to change? What has God put in your spirit? What's your glorious obsession. God is obsessed with you. Look at verse 8. This is what is in God's heart to do for you. God loves a cheerful giver. Now watch. It's going to show us what God is able to do through a cheerful giver. Someone who's ready to act. Someone who's re- yeah, ready to respond. You call on me, God, I'm there to do it. I'll take action. I won't only be willing, but I'll do it. Look what, look, look what he's able to get to you through generosity. And God is able to make all grace abound towards you, that you, always having all sufficiency in all things, may have an abundance for every good work. You see what he's trying to do for us? He's not trying to take from us. He's trying to get more to us. He's trying to get more to you and to get more through you. See, you're not just a tool. Well, some, well never mind. Anyway, anyway, you're not. <laughs> that's a poor taste. You're not, just, you're not just a conduit. You're not just a vessel to get blessings through you. God wants you blessed too. He wants you blessed too. See, the blessing of Abraham, we get kind of... These little phrases that we get caught up in, this, I call it churchianity. All right? And we say stuff like, I'm blessed to be a blessing. Well, that's partly true, yeah. But you're not only blessed to be a blessing. That's not the pronouncement that God gave over Abraham, which you believe that you're pronouncing over yourself. God told Abraham, I will bless you and you will be a blessing. 
See, he, he doesn't want you to just be that vessel to get blessings through. He wants you blessed too. I will bless you and you'll be a blessing. Say that. I am blessed and I will be a blessing. That's beautiful. I am blessed and I will be a blessing. See, He's given us richly all things to enjoy. You shouldn't feel guilty or have guilt for having things in your life, having good things. This is your Father's good pleasure to give you these things. Think about the desire for your own children. What do you want them to have? Why do you want your children to have the best? Who gave you that thinking? Who gave you that desire? Who put that in you? Your Heavenly Father put that in you. Amen. Amen. So He wants to bless you. And you can be a blessing to others. I love this. And He's able. This is what God's able to do. He's saying, look, this is what I can do. Is there anyone who's going to respond with a giving heart? Is there anyone out there who's going to be ready, cheerful to do this? Because this is what I have available for you. To unlock to you all sufficiency and all things and an abundance for every good work. Lord, I don't ask for much. Start asking for much. Start asking for much. Amen. Lord, I just want my needs met. Well, when did life become all about you? That's the most selfish thing you can pray. Lord, I don't want much. I just want you to meet my needs. You selfish thing. You're not even thinking about what you're saying. I say, dump it on me. Pour it over. So I can at any time, anywhere, be ready to act to bless somebody, to be able to help someone. Okay. That's some pretty good amen in right there. Verse 9. Pretty good. As it is written, he has dispersed abroad. He has given to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. That's not talking about God. That's talking about you. If you read the book of Psalms, this is a quote, a quote right out of Psalms where David is talking about the characteristics of a righteous man. He has dispersed abroad, he has given to the poor, his righteousness endures forever. Isn't that glorious? Verse 10. Now may he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food supply and multiply the seed you have sown and increase the fruits of your righteousness. All right? So who's giving you the seed? Who's giving you the harvest? Wow. He gives you the seed, and He gives you the harvest when you plant the seed. So understand that everything in our life has come from Him. Every good thing in our life has come from Him. And the seeds that He's put in our hands, He just says, can you just take that and sow it? Hmm? Don't eat the seed, sow the seed. And more comes. Next, verse 11. While you are enriched in everything for all liberality, which causes thanksgiving through us to God. Verse 12. For the administration of the service not only supplies the needs of the saints, but also is abounding through many thanksgivings to God. See, God gets the glory in this thing. God gets the glory. Verse 13. While through the proof of this ministry, they glorify God for the obedience of your confession to the gospel of Christ and for your liberal sharing with them and all men. 14. And by their prayer for you, who long for you because of the exceeding grace of God in you. 15. Thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. Hallelujah. Can we just stand for a moment and let's thank God. Thank God for his indescribable gift in his son, in the things that you have in your life, the goodness he continues to bring to you, the provision, the blessing, the air in your lungs. Hallelujah. Come on, let's just bless him tonight. Let's lift our hands. Let's worship him. Let's take, take a moment here to remember he's God. 
Everything, everything is His. Every, the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. And He has us here to be stewards of this grace, stewards of His grace, that we would increase in this grace of giving. As you abound in everything, as Paul said, see that you abound in this grace of giving too. Let's see what God can do. Let's unlock all that potential of you having all sufficiency in all things that you may have an abundance for every good work. That you not ever, ever be operating by fear, but by faith in God. Amen. Knowing your heavenly Father is watching over you. He loves you. He will provide for you. He will be there time and time again. He's on your side. Hallelujah. And if you will just open up more and more and say, God, come on in. I don't want to just have my door cracked open for you. I open the door wide. Hallelujah. Let it be to me according to your word tonight. Thank you, Father God, that you, you give us this invitation. You give us this invitation, Lord, to more than enough. To, ex to experience what only you can bring into our lives, God. Something that's beyond the power of man. Something that's beyond the power of natural resources. Lord, this is an invitation to your supernatural intervention in the natural course of our lives. Bless your people, Father. Thank you, Lord, that you do exploits. They do exploits on your behalf. And Lord, you do exploits in return to them. Thank you, Father God, for the grace of giving. God, that we would all... We would all, Lord, thrive in it. That we would be a people, a church known for generosity. A church ready, prompt, ready to act in this grace of giving. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Lord, for blessing you. Tonight, I wanted to just tell you, um, while we were kind of coming to the end of the worship service, I saw... Um, I saw a roof of a house and a couple of shingles that had just fallen off of it. And I felt like the Lord wanted to say to some of you here tonight, maybe one, maybe, maybe a number of you, that uh, the trouble is not as difficult as you think it is. You just need to patch the roof. All right? You just need, you're not, that, you're not as far away as you think you are, and you're not as low as you think you are. And what I want to just encourage you tonight is do what you know to do in the natural, all right? And leave the rest to the Lord. Just understand He's with you. You just get His word in your mouth and say, Father, I believe you tonight. I thank you, Lord, that nothing is impossible with you. Nothing's too far gone. So I thank you for your encouraging words tonight. Lord, I commit to do what I know I need to do. And you do know what you need to do. Just do what you know and let God do the rest, all right? Let Him help you. Let Him show you, all right? So He's here to help correct you, and help, help get, give you the right perspective in your situation tonight, all right? And, and just know that He's with you. He loves you. That's why He wants you to be encouraged tonight. Amen. It's not that difficult. Is there anything too hard for Him? And where does He abide? Then there's nothing too hard for you. Because the same power that raised Jesus from the dead lives in you. Amen. So be encouraged tonight. Be encouraged tonight. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. Lord, we bless you. Thank you, God, now that the peace of God, the grace of God will be upon all these here. As they go from here tonight, that they will go surrounded by the angels of the living God. That your angels will keep them in all of their ways, Lord. I thank you. I declare over this church 
No evil shall befall them, and no plague shall come near their dwelling. No weapon formed against them will prosper. Every tongue that rises against them in judgment, they shall condemn. Thank you, Father God, that they are strong in the Lord and in the power of His might. Lord, when they come home tonight and the lights go out and they crawl in that bed and they lay their head on their pillow, that they will both lie down in peace and sleep. For you alone, O Lord, make them dwell in safety. And Lord, when they rise in the morning, they'll rise with a song in their heart and a song on their lips to bless your name for a new day. Father, thank you, God. Thank you, Lord, that every good thing in our life comes from you. For that we are truly grateful. Now may the Lord bless you and keep you and cause his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you and give you peace. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. Praise God. God bless you. Thank you for listening, and we hope you enjoyed the message. For more information about One Cause Church, please visit us online at onecausechurch.com.